You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. If you got your Bibles, let's get them out, open them up to uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and uh, we're going to look at verses 1 to 12 today. I want to talk about uh, being unashamed, but really taking a look at our position in Christ. I'm unashamed, but taking a look at our position in Christ. Um, Paul the Apostle was a marathon runner, not literally, necessarily, but he was an Ironman. He was a triathlete. He was a marathoner. He was in it, and he went through the long run. My, my sports experience, which is pretty limited, was involved in sports that were more sprinting-type things. When it was track and field, it was the 100-yard dash. That'll help you understand how old I am. It's the 100-yard dash that we did. That's, that was kind of my thing. I didn't want to run the mile. People wheeze who run the mile. Nobody has a smile on their face while they're running that, and so I didn't want to do that kind of stuff. I was more of a sprinter. I played hockey. You go out, you go crazy and you go on the, the bench for a little while and you go back out again. But Paul wasn't like that. Paul was a marathoner. He was the guy who was just in it for the long haul and kept on going and was faithful through all of the things that he had to do. And, um, and so we come to 2 Timothy and we're coming to the end of the marathon. And he writes this letter to Timothy, his young protege, and he's kind of Again, to give him the last things he can say. Paul is in Rome. It's somewhere 66, 68 um, AD. And not too long after this, uh, Paul's life would be taken because of the gospel. And so he's writing this letter to his friend. He's writing this letter to his son in the faith. And he's got some things that he wants to say to them. We're going to just dabble into some in, the, in the chapter 1 today. But there's so many things. But he just wants to give him some tools. And, and I trust that some of the tools that he gave him, some of the things that he gave to Timothy, can be helpful for us as well today. As he's coming to the end of his race, he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So not only to me, he says, but to you, Timothy, not only you, Timothy, but to all who have loved his appearing. And so this message is not just for Timothy. This message is for us today. We find it in uh, chapter one. And uh, the big idea of this message is around, I will not be ashamed, but I will endure. I will endure for Christ. I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? I want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to start at 2 Timothy chapter one and uh, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I thank my God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith and the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not to fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Let's pray. Father, would you please work through your word? Would you please work through the power of your spirit? We are a people of God who are hungry to hear not what a preacher has to say, but what you have to say today. Would you use the servant? Would you work in the power of your spirit? Would you give us ears to listen attentively to your word? Would you give us minds to comprehend what's being said? But then, Lord, would you give us hearts and faith to live these things out for the glory of the one who gave his life for us, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Paul was not ashamed of his faith, and he's about to give Timothy kind of his final marching orders. Twice in this passage, he tells him not to be ashamed or that he is not ashamed. Um, we see it, excuse me, we see it first in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And then down in verse 12, he says, which I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Over in chapter 2 and verse 15, the word comes up again. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And then that verse in Romans 1, 16 again, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then over in 1 Peter 4, 14 to 16, it says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Hey, church, we live in a world where we are more and more and more being focused on as the target. We're the haters. 
we're the ones who despise the world around us. It's not true, but that's how we're being painted. We're painted as one who hates different groups. And, and it's like, no, we love different groups. We want people to know Jesus Christ. We're, we're all sinners who need a savior. But that's not the worry the world paints us. And I just wonder, are we becoming a little bit timid in our faith? Are we becoming a little bit timid in our walk? Are we becoming a little bit ashamed? Do the people out in your block, do the people in your workplace, do the people in your school, do the people in your family, do they understand your love for Jesus Christ, your love for the gospel? And so Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, at least three times in the books, he, he talks about not being ashamed, but being bold and being courageous and standing for the Lord. And so as he comes to the end of this story of his life, the last thing that we know of that he ever says to Timothy, these are some of the things he says. So if they are that important that Timothy would have them, they're probably important for us to have them. So uh, three main areas we want to look at. Here's the first one. Unashamed because we have a firm foundation. We're unashamed because we have a firm foundation. That foundation is in Christ. Look at verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Our confidence, our hope, is the fact that we are in Christ Jesus, and so we don't need to be ashamed. As, as Paul starts this letter, he talks about, he says, Paul, an apostle. Uh, that spoke about his authority to speak. And if there's an authority to speak to Timothy, he's given it to us in, God has given it to us in his word. It's true for us today. We need to listen to what he said. He's an authority of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul is speaking by the will of God. That's our mandate. If this is the will of God, right? How do we know the will of God? We search the scriptures, we read, we pray, we, we want to know what God's will is. And Paul is saying, what I'm writing for you, Timothy, what I'm putting down here on this parchment and sending to you, this, this is what I've discerned, this is what I've prayed over, this is what I, and I want you to have it. This is God's will for you by the will of God. It was giving Timothy a mandate, a young preacher, a young pastor to move forward in his walk, but it gave it to me and it gives it to you as well, this mandate according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. It speaks of the future hope. It says, for the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. I preached in your church, I don't know how many years ago now, a number of years ago. It was back when you were in the high school. And um, I brought a big piece of rope with me that day. Don't know if you remember it. I stole the illustration. It wasn't mine. I owned that as I used the illustration. But it was a 100-foot rope, and I tailed the end of it off the end of the stage and had the rest of it kind of dangling all around. And, and, and when I picked up the rope, the last about six or eight inches, still in my garage, the last six or eight inches has tape on it. And, and the, um, the first part was red tape, and then there was some yellow tape, and then there was the rest of the rope. And, and the whole point of the illustration is, this is my life that I've lived so far. And this little bit of yellow tape, that's how much I have left. I turned 65 this September. That little yellow part's getting smaller. But it's like, it's getting, and then there's eternity. And then there's eternity. And we find ourselves so much living for this little piece of the rope when God's got all of this out there for us. 
See, I'm not going to be ashamed because I'm not living for this world. I'm not living for this 70 or 80 or 85 or whatever number of years God gives me. I'm not living for that. I'm living for this. And that verse finishes the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. We have this firm foundation if we are in Christ that we have a hope that goes on for eternity. It's great to have communion today so that we would remember. We would remember the work of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that in Matthew, when Jesus talks about this, uh, about community goes, and, and we're gonna do this again in heaven. So they were gonna do it that day, but then we're gonna do this again. And we look forward to that day. I look forward to the day we have communion with Jesus. That's gonna be an awesome, awesome day. And we remember that. We don't live for what this is. It's hard because we get caught up in it. I, I want a bigger bank account. I want more children. I want uh, a bigger house. I want, I want, I want. And we find ourselves focused on so many, uh, so much of our time focused on this and not with our time focused on the Lord. And the reality is I have this firm foundation. I have this amazing hope. And it's because I am in Christ. We're going to come back to that in a little bit in the message. But um, Paul starts out and he talks about the fact that this is in Christ. But then Paul goes on and he talks about being in relationship. He talks about being in relationship. Um, a, a picture of discipleship, a picture of a mentor. And, and Paul was Timothy's mentor. Paul was Timothy's main discipler. I like using Bible words. Uh, he was the main discipler for Timothy. When Timothy had a question, he was running to ask Paul. Um, do you have that person in your life? Do you have that spiritual guide in your life, a human being person, beyond seeking the Lord and the Holy Spirit, that's a good person for you to go to. You need those kind of people in your life. Uh, let the younger learn from the older, the Bible teaches. And, and we need to have those people. We're not islands by ourselves. I, uh, my uh, mentor, as I was growing up in ministry, he's gone on to be with the Lord, was Dr. Roy Lawson. Dr. Roy Lawson poured hours and hours and hours into me. And uh, spiritually, I thank the Lord for what he did because so much of what he did is what God used to make me to the person I am. When you talk about 40 years of ministry, yeah, I love the fact that God's sustained us for 44 years of ministry. But the reality is God used people in that process. And, and we see that in Timothy's life. Um, look what it says in verse two. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. He poured into him. And, and as we're coming to the end of Scripture being written, and we're coming to the end of Paul's life, Paul's sitting in house arrest probably, but he's sitting in house arrest in Rome. He's waiting to die. And who am I going to write to? Who am I going to write to? I'm writing to Timothy because he was invested in him. And I, so I asked that question of people who are like me. I'm, I'm moving over to that. I'm getting older. I remember one time driving home from Sue, driving home, and I said to Sue, when did I become that guy? You know, I used to be the guy you'd go and ask people stuff. And now people are coming and asking me stuff. Like, when did I become that guy? And uh, Well, we all do. And in the areas that we're passionate about, people ask us about. And so who's asking you about the reason of the hope that is in you? 
And if you're a little bit older, who are you investing in in your life? Who are you the Paul in Timothy's life for? And ladies, you're not off the hook in this. It says, uh, let the younger women learn from the older women that we would be people of God who know the word and are teaching the word and influencing people. And it's not only about age, I get that, but some of you need to be good Pauls in somebody else's life. And some of you need to be good Timothys listening to good Pauls in your life. Um, It's a principle from Scripture, and it's a thing that we see so clearly in this text. Um, It's interesting, as Paul does his introduction in this book, he says, grace and mercy and peace. Uh, He doesn't use the word mercy often in these. He uses grace, peace, and love. But in this one, he adds mercy in, and that's just a good, a good thing for us to think about is if grace is getting what you don't deserve, then mercy is um, not getting what you do deserve. And so Paul is just reminding uh, Timothy of the mercy. In verse three, he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. Paul is remembering and thinking. He's probably thinking about people like the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And I've just served and I've sought to be faithful, Timothy. That's what I've done. And then in verse four, he says, and I remember your tears. I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I don't know if Paul ever saw Timothy again. Um, if he didn't, he did when they got to heaven. Um, but it's, it's, it seems to be from the text I remember your tears. We don't know what the tears were. Um, You know, sanctified imagination. Maybe the tears were the last time Timothy was about to walk out the door and go on to what Paul had challenged him to do. And Timothy's thinking, "I, I don't know if I'll ever see my friend again. And he's just filled with tears. Not tears of sadness, but tears of thankfulness, tears of joy, tears of gratitude for what Paul had done, what he had invested into this young man's life. And um, I am so thankful for people who've done that for me. Um, And so we have this picture of relationship, relationship of an example, of a discipler, of a mentor. And we all need to be thinking about where we are on that scale and who we're serving in those things. But then there's also the picture of family. He says in verse five, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwells first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Uh, Timothy has a great bonus in his life. There were some godly adults, some godly family members that had influenced his life. His grandma and his mom had been a huge influence in his life. Is that your story? Did did you grow up in a family where Christ was exalted? Not a perfect family, not, you know, they wouldn't let you do stuff and you got mad at them when you were a teenager. But as you look back at it now, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful for the heritage that I have, a heritage of a family in Christ. If you have that, you need to rejoice in that. I remember as a kid thinking, man, I wish I had a story like that guy had, what he went through and all the stuff he did and then Jesus saved him. That guy would tell you, you don't want my story. If God saved you from that, if he kept you from all that, you need to rejoice in all that. And so Timothy has this grandmother who loved him and prayed for them. I had a grandma, Grandma Burgess. She loved me and she prayed for me. And my mom, she prayed for me. The day my mom died, I thought, man, I've lost one of my greatest prayer warriors. 
And Timothy grew up with that. And he had that. And, and Paul says, that's a great thing you had. And the faith that they had and the faith that you have so much was passed down. And if you have that, you need to stop and be thankful for that. And if you're the, if you're the parents of some kids in this room, maybe plug your ears for just a moment. But when you get home from church today, you need to say, thank you. Thank you for your investment. Thank you for your care. I said to you, we have two kids who love the Lord and Mary, two kids who love the Lord, and we're praying that each of our grandkids will love the Lord. That's a great story. And some of you have that story. And you need to rejoice in that story. But Timothy's story wasn't perfect. You notice that it doesn't say anything about Timothy's dad. Timothy's dad is kind of absent from the story. Um, in Acts 16, 1 and 2, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now the comment, the point that his father wasn't a Greek wasn't a derogatory thing about being Greek. The point was his mom was a Jewess who was a believer. His father wasn't a believer. So he grew up in a family where one parent was saved and one parent wasn't saved. See, everything in the scripture is not easy and life was just peachy keen for them. Paul's like in house arrest, spent most of his saved life in prison. Timothy grew up with one parent who loved the Lord, one parent who apparently didn't love the Lord. And, and that was what he grew up in. And so Paul became that spiritual father to him. And okay, so who is there around you that you could be that person to, that you could be that helper for? that you could be that one to disciple and encourage and help. And, but Paul, as he's writing here, he's writing and he's thankful. He's thankful for the relationship that he has. But you might be sitting here today and going, but I don't have that. I don't have that. I, I, I am the first believer in our family. I don't have any support. Well, that's what the rest of this group is for. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is for. In Hebrews 10, um, 24 and 25, it's talking about persecution. It's talking about uh, uh, believers being pushed, pressed down and pushed under. But it says um, in Hebrews 10, 24, let me read it so I say it right. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's the purpose of the church, one of them. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. These folks were struggling because of persecution. And it's like, I don't think I want to go to church today because there's going to be too much hassle. I just lost my job. They won't even talk to me and my family. I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And the writer of Hebrews goes, you've got to have that because the, the, the life of a follower of Jesus Christ is to be lived in community. That's what fellowship is about. And so if you're here today and you are the first generation of a believer in your family, you're the beginning of a chain that one day might be grandma and mother and, or it might be grandpa and father and, and the third generation. How awesome that would be. But it takes the body of Christ serving together to support and encourage one another and build each other up in our faith. That's why small groups are important and discipleship groups are important so that we can spur each other on and we can help each other. And so Paul, as he starts to talk with his, Tim, his friend Timothy, he talks about this firm foundation they have and in the, the relationship in Christ, but the relationships that they have with one another. And you have that. And it's a foundation of why we won't be ashamed 
I won't be ashamed because I have a firm foundation. Here's the second thing. If, if you are unashamed, you have a responsibility, the text says, to fan the flame. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not going to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, then you have a responsibility to fan the flame. Look at verses 6 and 7. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not to fear, but of power and love and of self-control. And I'm not going to get into and spend a whole lot of time in spiritual gifts, and they're all in Scripture. You can read about them, Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 and in Corinthians, and you can study all of that. Uh, Paul prayed over Timothy and prayed a gift on him. Was it the gift of evangelism? Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Was the gift of preaching? Paul told him to preach the word. I'm not sure. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say specifically. But we're supposed to use this gift. For God, um, excuse me, for this reason, remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. It comes from God. And so here's my question for you. How has God gifted you? How has he gifted you? And how are you using it for his glory? You may be like, well, I don't know very much about spiritual gifts. Well, then study spiritual gifts. If, you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a gift. You have at least one. Use your gift for the glory of God. But you could take it even further than that. The talents that you have, the abilities. I love coming to your church. I don't know who that guy is who plays the drums, but I could listen to him every day play the drums. So if you're an anti-drum person, I'm sorry, but you know they're in the Bible, so just let that go. Um, I, just, I love the way, I, the, guy, the little drummer guy, he said he's playing away, he's singing while he's playing, and he's using the talent that God has given him. I love that. How are you using the talents that God has given you? What, what are the talents you have and how are you using them for the kingdom? There's a meeting going on in your church right now downstairs where there's training that's happening uh, for the day camp or whether it's coming up in last week of July or early August. And, you know, if you do nothing else, you can be on your face praying for them, right? But, but people are going to use talents and gifts that they have. Some of them are down there very nervous. They've never done it before. Oh, no, what's going to happen? And, but they're going to do it. They're going to do it, right? How, how are we using the gifts we have, how are we using the talents we have, how are we using the resources that God has given us? We live in one of the richest nations in the world. How do we use the resources that God is giving us for his glory? Because Paul is saying, fan into flame the things that you have, the tools that you have, fan into flame so that something is coming from them. It's a picture of this little fire you have when you go camping and it's not going very well. And you've got a piece of cardboard out there and you're fanning into flame and you're trying to get the fire going or you're down on your face and you're blowing in at the bottom of it because you want to get the fire going. The picture here is how, what are you fanning into flame in your walk with Jesus Christ so that your life stands out and people see you and they go, oh my goodness, I want to know what that person's about. And they ask you for the reason of the hope that's in you because you've fanned into flame what God is doing in your life. My wife, Sue, as soon as I say words like my wife, Sue, in a sermon, she's like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I only use my wife in positive illustrations, okay? Um, unless she gives me permission otherwise. And, uh, but there's just not much material otherwise, so I just don't do that. But my wife is not an upfront kind of person. She's much more behind the scenes. And in our ministry with uh, the GCC, working with like 26 pastors and wives and staff and all the rest, 
Um, when I introduced your pastor, speaking at our senior pastors and wives retreat, you know, he thanked the GCC for what they were. And I'm thankful to Paul for what he's done. That was all wonderful. And I appreciated it. But then he said this, he said something like this. He said, but, but we want to be, we want to say thank you to Sue. And, and he went on and he said, do you guys know that Sue prays, this is for all the pastors and wives, do you guys know that Sue prays for every single one of you every week? And do you know that she prays for every single one of your kids every week? And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> Fanning into flame, using a gift. Uh, she learned to pray from her dad. And, and her dad, when he left, when my mom left, left, left one of our prayer warriors. When her dad went to heaven, we lost one of our great prayer warriors. But the one thing he did, he left a legacy of prayer. And she's fanning into flame for people. Things are happening in people's lives. Pastors, wives come up to her all the time and say, thank you for praying for our kids. I know you're praying for our kids. Thank you for praying for our kids. Here's what's happening. What are you using? What is God using you for? And it might be prayer. It could be some other resourcing thing. It could be, but we're all part of the body fanning into flame for the glory of God. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. How do we fan the flame in our spiritual life? Well, three things I'd say really quick. You fan the flame by focusing on the gospel. You fan the flame by having a life that focuses on the gospel so that people are asking you why you are like you are. Uh, they may not understand it. It may not be the first conversation that makes any sense to them, but they just see there's something different about you, a joy in your spirit, a, a, a smile on your face that's different and you can explain to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You fan into flame by dealing with sin. I can tell you this. If you're living with unconfessed sin, conviction in your life, and not confessing your sin, you're not passionate about fanning into flame. You're not passionate about the gospel. You're reserved. You're quiet. You've become subdued. And so often the direct connection is to sin. So you want to fan into flame. We're focused on the good news of the gospel. I'll come back and touch on that in a minute. But then we, we are people who are dealing with sin and we're people who are guarding our hearts, guarding our hearts from the things that are around us. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all, all vigilance for from it flows the spring of life. You guard your heart by having strong spiritual disciplines. Here's three questions. How have you become sloppy in your worship? How have you become sloppy in your worship? Maybe, maybe you could just use the illustration as you came into church today and as we're singing, you were distracted or you were only half-hearted. You weren't singing your face off. If, if you were at a Leafs game or if you were at a Bills game, maybe for down here in St. Catharines, or if you were at, um, you know, whatever you're at, at, a, at a, a Jays game and, you know, something's happening, you'd be screaming your lungs out, but you haven't screamed your lungs out for Jesus ever um, because your worship is sloppy. Now, believe me, I could turn a mirror on my own soul when I talk about this. I can be as guilty of this as anybody can be. But we become so focused about other things and worship isn't what just happens here. Worship is what happens when you're driving down the road, when you're listening to music or listening to the word. Or when, Have you become sloppy in your worship? Guard your heart. 
Um, how have you become sloppy in your worship? How have you become sloppy in your giving of your time and your talent and your treasures? Are you faithful to give? How have you become uh, maybe sloppy in your thinking? Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about the renewing of your mind. See, the battle of Satan is for your mind. And if your thinking becomes sloppy, if you're not spending enough time in the Word or studying, or if you're not spending any time in the Word, or you're not around other people who are spurring you on to love and good deeds, your thinking will become sloppy, and you will, you will be a person who's not being fanned into flame. There's so many other things I could talk about there, and I'm not going to, but, um, but here's one more. Are you believing the lies of Satan? about you. Oh, you're just a sinner. You know what you've done. You know God could never really use you again. And, and instead of calling out the lie from Satan because you've confessed your sin, you live in the lie and you've allowed that to become who you are or aren't in Jesus Christ. God help us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. So I am forgiven. And, and nobody's stuck on the bench in the sense that God's never using you again. There can be repercussions for sin. There can be consequences for sin, for sure. But God still uses his children. And don't ever try and tell a spiritual leader, no, God can't use me anymore. If you only knew what I did, if you only knew what I did. And God's like, I know everything that you did. And I still loved you enough to send my son for you. All right, let's keep moving. Down in verse seven. He says, Timothy, take note of this. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So imagine Timothy for just a minute. Timothy is getting this letter from Paul. He wasn't sure he'd ever get another letter, but he gets this letter from Paul, realizing it's probably the last thing he's ever going to get. And Paul's going to be gone, and he's going to be left. And all of a sudden, he might be filled with thoughts like I would have been thoughts with, oh no, this is too much for me. I'm not going to have my mentor. I'm not going to have my disciple. It's going to be too much. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for what's coming. What if it doesn't work out? All those things going through his mind, which are all the things that goes through our minds when we doubt. And Paul says to him in verse seven, God didn't give us a spirit of fear or cowardice is what the word is also is equal translation. God didn't give you a spirit to be a coward or to be filled with fear, but of power and love and self-control. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, God says. Timothy, I'm going to go with you. I will help you on your journey. And that's the promise of God for us on our journey. And you might be in a place right now and it's like, but if I do this, all of my foundation, all the things that have made me comfortable, all the, they're all gonna be rocked and said, I'll take you through this. I will care for you. You do my will. I will guide you but I might lose my job. I will take care of you if you're faithful. He promises he will do that. Does that mean it'll be easy? No, it'll be hard for sure. He just promises that he will go with us in it and he will care for us. We never want to forget that. 
as we serve the Lord. Don't be a coward, but be filled with courage. Be strong and courageous is what Joshua was told. The Spirit of God dwelling in us gives you power. It gives you love that casts out fear. And it gives you um, self-control according to the verse. All right, one more thing. Unashamed people have a focused hope in verses 8 to 12. In verses 8 to 12. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So we start there and he says, don't be ashamed. Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm gonna stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ hung for me, I will stand for him. Paul also says, don't be ashamed of me either. There are lots of people who are in the anti-Paul crowd. In Timothy, who had been so blessed by him. But the main point of this text, I believe, is don't be ashamed of the gospel. And don't be ashamed to suffer for the gospel yourself. Why? Because it is the power of God. It's what God uses and how God will work God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, not because of what we did. We all know that, right? For by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one could boast. If it was about what I brought to the table, I could think somehow I earned my salvation. I earned nothing in my salvation. The only thing I bring to my salvation is the sin that caused the problem, that, that brought God to the place of sending his son. I was separated from God in my sin, and I needed a Savior, and that was Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. We needed a Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was the propitiation, big word, for us, and he was the one who satisfied the wrath of God. What was required was a payment of a perfect sacrifice. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and I trust the work of Jesus Christ, and that's what saves me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's because when we were having communion, you were talking about if you've never trusted Christ, just watch and see. This is a picture that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you drink this, uh, if you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the work of what Christ did in being the satisfaction of the wrath of God. It's so awesome to me that I put my trust in Christ all of my sin, past, present, future, all of it, is placed on Jesus Christ. All of his righteousness placed on me. That's the great exchange. And God looks at me and he sees the righteousness of Christ. Do I deserve that? Oh, no. But God did it. And that's what God's done for everyone who's trusted Christ. If you've never trusted Christ, you can have that so that you're not just living for that little piece of the rope, right? You're, that's now satisfied and now you live for, the, for eternity and what God's going to do. Perfectly? Nope. Nope. But moving forward in sanctification, a little bit more like Jesus every day, confessing our sin, coming to him, that's the awesome news of the gospel Look down at verse 12. I'll finish with this. Paul says, which is why I suffered as I do. Paul suffered for being a follower of Christ. 
But he says, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. In other words, it's worth it. It's worth it. Following Jesus Christ, it's worth it. What God is doing in our salvation, it's worth it. What God is doing in our eternal salvation, it's worth it. I am not ashamed for I know who I believed. I know who paid the price. I know who I believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day, until that day, what has been entrusted to me. Well, so what? So what? I like to finish my messages that way. Helps me to kind of recap and think about what we just talked about, what I've just been preaching about. And you've got this man, Timothy. He's probably around 40 years old. Don't really know exactly, but he's probably around 40 years old. Paul has invested in him and invested in him and invested in him. And Paul's about to leave and go to heaven. He writes this last letter to Timothy. And what are the things that he wants him to know about? said, know about Christ. It's all about Jesus. Know about the relationships, the way God has worked in you, used me and you. Paul says, he used your grandma, he used your mom, he's used other people. Don't forget those things. And then fan into flame, fan into flame. You have these gifts, you have these talents, you have these resources. Fan them into flame so that they can be used for kingdom purposes. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I know who I've trusted. I know who I believed in. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What is God speaking to you about in your life today? Something that you've been ashamed about, about Jesus. Or a resource that you haven't been using. Or a gift that's been sitting on the shelf or sin that's been confessed and Satan has been telling you a lie and so you haven't been serving because you think, I can't serve. Or maybe you've been believing those lies. You know, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, right? Our hope is not found in us. So let's be people of God, unashamed of the gospel, serving for the glory of our Savior. Let's pray.